Usain Bolt. Who's seen Usain Bolt run? Anybody here actually seen him run? Yeah. Uh, on the telly? No, I'm not talking about seeing him on the telly. No, seeing him in real life. Yeah, I, I saw him get the gold medal at the Olympics, but I didn't see him run. No, I saw the next day when he got the gold medal. <laughs> but I never saw him run. But he's pretty fast. Do you know, when he was three months old, he could run the 100 meters in 9.98 seconds. He couldn't even walk when he was three months old. Uh, and he's had to grow. And he's had to develop. And he's had to train. And he's had to discipline himself. And he's had to have a, a routine so that every day he made sure that he ate the right food and didn't eat the, anything that had any uh, ease or additives or anything that he could be disqualified for and then he would make sure he he was training and doing the right kind of training and everything so that he became the best that he possibly could be and when a person trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ when God opens their eyes to see to see themselves as sinners unacceptable to God as they are deserving condemnation deserving hell. And then they realize that God gave his only son Jesus who came into this world and took all our sin off us onto himself. And he bore the punishment for our sin. And he dealt with the wrath of God. And everything that separated us from God has been removed. So that now as we take Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, so we find God as our Father. And we are born again. We are made alive spiritually. We enter into God's family. We have new life. And we begin to live. But we aren't at our full potential we have just started on the Christian life and we have so much growing to do. And if we're going to be fruitful and effective Christians, we not only need to grow, but we need to train to discipline ourselves so that we become as effective as we possibly can. So we become the people who reach their full potential. And that's the purpose of spiritual disciplines. We don't discipline ourselves spiritually in order to uh, be saved, but we discipline ourselves spiritually because we have this life in us already. We already have this salvation. Jane Warwick. Do you remember Jane Warwick? She was care force worker here, 27. She was here when I arrived, so that was about 27 years ago. And she started doing driving lessons. And she went to take her driving test. And I remember her telling me that the driving instructor said to her, right now, at your own time, if you'd like to proceed down the road. So she put the handbrake off. And she took her foot off the clutch, but it wasn't biting. It, wasn't, it just wasn't biting. Something was wrong. It just wasn't biting. And the instructor said to her, maybe you should turn the engine on first. <laughs> and you know, spiritual life is as if you've turned the engine on. And now you learn to drive well. 
Learn to drive carefully. Learn to drive safely. And when we think of spiritual disciplines, we think of things such as our, our daily prayer and Bible study, about church uh, attendance and benefiting from the services, a, a fellowship with one another, a prayer, um, holding to the deep truths of the faith. These are what we would think of as Christian disciplines. In the Jewish community where Jesus was, the main disciplines were giving alms and saying prayers and fasting. They would fast on the Day of Atonement every year and sometimes they would fast more often. And the Pharisees would fast two days a week and would let everybody know they were doing it. And these were the spiritual disciplines. So Jesus speaks into their culture and he speaks about those spiritual disciplines. So as we look at uh, Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 18 and we look at uh, giving to the needy and of praying and of fasting, of self-denial, then we are not um, saying this is everything for us as Christians. But we're seeing how Jesus transforms the disciplines of Judaism for us today. And the first thing we see here is that you must do acts of righteousness. Jesus says there in verse 1, be careful. Uh, the, we have the... 1984 version of the New International Version, which you can't get today. And as I look on the Bible Hub and Bible Gateway, they don't have it either, so I have to put different versions up. But it says here, this is the NIV UK, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. It says in our version, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Jesus says, be careful not to be doing it to be seen. He doesn't say, don't do them. He says, be careful to do them, but make sure that you're not doing it for your own glory, for your own reputation. And we have these three different acts of righteousness. Helping the needy, that's giving to the poor, verses 2 to 4. Then honoring God, that's praying and the Lord's Prayer, verses 5 to 15. And then humbling yourself, denying yourself, fasting, that's verses 16 to 18. And you might think it is odd when Jesus is talking about these three disciplines, the first to the needy outside, the second to God above us, and the last to ourselves within. So outward Help the needy, upwards pray, inward humble yourself. You might think it's odd that God comes second. Why does God come second? Surely it's God should be first, the needy second and ourselves last. Why does God put the needy first and God second? But you see, as we looked at this morning, we've got to learn to think in the way that the Hebrew mindset did. It wasn't ABC, but it's ABA. Help the needy. Help yourself. They're the brackets. In the center, central, comes God. God is central in this section. And indeed, the Lord's Prayer is central in the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. We must worship God. We must honor God. And also help the needy and control our sinful natures. So the first thing we must do then is to 
give generously. This is verses 2 to 4. Some people seem to get muddled up with the first discipline and the third discipline. The first discipline is give generously and the third discipline is deny yourself. We tend to deny others <laughs> and indulge ourselves. Well, we've got to learn to deny ourselves and give generously to others. And Jesus begins, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street uh, to be honored by others. You can see them doing it, can't you? Uh, Dickie, I know you're having a hard time. I'd like to give you 10 pounds. Hello, everybody, look. I'm just giving him 10 pounds. Are you watching? <laughs> and Jesus says, look, that's just hypocrisy. You're not helping him. You're not showing love for God. You're just showing love for yourself. And you've got your reward. There's absolutely no other reward. No blessing at all from doing that. You give millions of pounds away. You can give your body to be burned. And you accomplish nothing. We must be known for our generosity. I um, was listening to Mark Driscoll preaching in his old church in America. And he said that uh, on Sundays they would have the morning service. And they would have thousands of their services. And then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them would go over to the restaurant and have lunch there. So he went in and he spoke to the waitress. He said, oh, do you get lots of Christians coming after the church on Sunday? Oh, yeah, loads of them. He says, are they good tippers? No, they're the most mean people in the, in the world. So he immediately took out several hundreds of dollars and gave her a massive tip to try and make up for the others. But you can understand if they're putting money in the collection and they don't want to go and tip as well. But we need to be generous. You know, if we're going to give a person an invite to the church service because they've been waiting on us at the table, and yet we're measly and miserly, then we're just, you know, giving the wrong message. We've got to learn to be generous. Giving, I think, a tip, putting our money in the church, that's good, but I don't think that's what Jesus is really talking about. He's talking about the really needy. We think about orphans. We can support orphans, can't we? It's very easy just for a little um, bit of money a month and we can support orphans in horrendous situations. We can support evangelists in India. Do you remember when we were taking on supporting evangelists in India and then I went over and I saw several of the evangelists who supported my people in the church here and it was thrilling to see what's going on. I have friends going out to Malawi as missionaries on Tuesday. They are going to such a dangerous part of the uh, country, so far away from any uh, medical help or police or anything, that we couldn't get any missionary organization to support them. The Africa Inland Mission wouldn't support them. SIM wouldn't support them. Uh, we tried all these missionary organizations and said, no, we can't take responsibility for them. <laughs> it's such a... <laughs> unreached territory. We thought, well, that's what missionaries are meant to do. In the end, we had to become the first Baptist church to join up with the brethren and echoes of service so they at least have an umbrella to go with. But they're going out on Tuesday. These people in the worst of situations, the poverty, the AIDS has wiped out the whole middle generation. So you have grandparents looking after their grandchildren. 
And the poverty is horrendous. And we can help. We've got to be known by our generosity. But not only have we got to give generously, I would like to say I think we've got to give responsibly. You know, there are so many adverts that come up for charities that want our money and we can find ourselves giving to charities because we feel guilty and then finally they're not using the money at all. I was, they've had on the news recently about the different amount of money that different charities take for themselves. And <laughs> I think there's one charity that takes about 99% for themselves. Uh, the money's just not going to others. We've got to give generously to the needy, not to the church, not to, you know, friends, but to the needy. And we've got to give responsibly. That's the first verses 2 to 4. The second section is we've got to pray. It's not only just using our wealth and our money, but we've got to pray. We've got to pour out our hearts in prayer for people. I joked with someone once who was saying, oh, they didn't pray, you know, they never got around to praying, that they were trying to get into the Guinness Book of Records for being the Christian who didn't pray for the longest. <laughs> but you know, we can find prayer is something that we forget. We get home in the evening and we're tired and we roll into bed and think, oh, I haven't spent any time in prayer again today. So we say, oh dear Lord, please watch over me while I sleep. And that's it. And that's not really a prayer, that's really a panic. You know, we find we pray in a crisis, we pray at the meal table, we pray as we're driving down the motorway, we pray as we're falling into bed. But we never get round to what Jesus said about going into the room, shutting the door and praying to our Father who is seen, who is unseen, who meets with us in secret. And we've got to learn to pray. And this is a discipline, not only with our money, but here now with our heart. When we go into our room, and we close the door, we sit in our chair, or we kneel down, or we lie on our face on the ground and pray to God. We're being serious about spiritual things, aren't we? And I think what we are when we are on our own before God, that's what we really are. And probably that's why prayer is so hard. We need to be disciplined and put time aside to pray. The difference it makes to your life when you find you get up and you make sure that you begin the day with some serious time praying to God. And each day you have this discipline. It impacts your life. You can't be the same again. And the Lord hears and answers and rewards. So we must pray. And we notice, first of all, that we pray to God as our Father. This was revolutionary. People didn't talk... To God as their father. They talk to God as the eternal creator, the judge, the holy, the mighty one. But there was never this, this family relationship till Jesus Christ came along and taught us to pray our father in heaven. And he uses you know, these intimate words. Maybe you know what it is when you've had problems at work and, and, and you've been young and, and you come home and your dad says, how did you get on? And you just open your heart and tell him what your day's been like. And this is how we are to talk to God. We are to talk to God as our Father. You don't have to learn some new language. There's that relationship. He's your heavenly Father. And you are talking 
to him as his child. We don't pray to angels. We don't need magic spells or we don't need to whip ourselves. We're talking to our father. There's this relationship of love. Our father in heaven. And then you notice that this prayer doesn't have any requests. This is very interesting. I was told that there were six petitions, three that were Godward and three that were manward. But they're not really petitions. When it says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's not saying, dear Lord, I would like your name to be hallowed, please. It's not. You know, if I go... To you, and I say, um, respect my wife. Well, that's more of a command, isn't it? And we say to God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. These aren't requests. These are requirements. These are absolute necessities. Without these, we're doomed. Without these, there's going to be no progress. We need God's name to be honored. We need God's kingdom to come. We need God's will to be done. And this was so revolutionary for the Jews because the Jews wanted their name to be honored on the earth. And they wanted the kingdom of David to come, their kingdom to come. And they wanted their will to be done. And Jesus turns it all upside down. And it's not requests, it's almost commands. These are absolutely necessary. These are not options. These are not preferences. These are not wishes. We're desperate for this. And hallowed be your name. Your name be honored. The word hallowed means sanctified. means to be treated as unique. God's name is unique. And we need to treat him as unique. It's much easier to dishonor God's name than to honor God's name. G.P. Taylor uh, was a vicar, and when the Harry Potter books came along, he was a bit concerned about his uh, little child reading um, all about magic and things. And so he decided to write books that he thought were better, with much more Christian influence in them. And he wrote the Shadowmancer books. And they became very, very popular, and he became very, very wealthy, and they sold millions of copies. But Blue Peter refused to have him on their show. They didn't want to give the impression that they supported Jesus. You know, so they just wouldn't have him because it meant supporting Jesus. The Jubilee Library in Brighton had a notice board. And a Sunday school teacher went and asked if she could put up a poster inviting children to a craft event at the church. And they said no. They would not allow a Sunday school teacher to put up a poster inviting uh, children to a craft event at church because it was religious. But in their shop, they sold Messiah mints which was a tin of mint that had a picture of Jesus on the front. And it had on it the slogan, Here's that Jesus fella again. And this time he's spreading minty freshness in the mouths of the masses. Oh, they were selling that. But you couldn't put up a poster inviting children to a Sunday school craft event. 
Amazing, isn't it? You know, hallowed be your name. And yet, on the television, using God's name or Jesus' name as swear words are not even taken as, not even counted as bad language. So when they count the number of swear words on the television programs, if they're blaspheming God the Father or God the Son, it doesn't count. Well, we need to be making sure that God's name is hallowed and that his kingdom come. We, we, we want the new heaven and earth to come. Lord, come quickly. And in the meantime, build your kingdom and bring people into your kingdom. And your will be done. We want God's will to be done on earth. We read the newspaper and we see the devil's will being done, don't we? It doesn't it fill us with horror sometimes as we see the news and we see the evil that is around. And how we need to pray that God's will would be done. This isn't a request. This is a requirement. This must happen. And then notice that we don't ask just for ourselves. Give me today. No, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. God doesn't listen to selfish prayers. When we pray just for ourselves, we're praying wrong prayers that aren't going to be answered. We need to have big hearts and we come not just for me, for myself. Lord, may I win the lottery. I promise to tithe it. No, we come to pray for all the people of God. We pray for food to live by. Give us today our daily bread. We pray for forgiveness that we might live spiritually. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And we pray for holiness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we can live, live spiritually, and live to God's glory. But there is that problem, isn't there? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do we want to pray, Lord, forgive me just a little bit because I forgive others just a little bit? Is that what we're praying? God, forgive me just to the amount that I forgive others. Ah. And if you look at verses 14 and 15, Jesus explains this. In verse 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What on earth does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean we earn forgiveness by forgiving others. It means that we can't receive forgiveness without forgiving others. It's a bit like this. You walk into a room and you realize that it's poison in the atmosphere. You say, <gasps> you hold your breath and you don't breathe. And you rush outside and then you find you can't take anything in because <gasps> you're already full so you have to <gasps> breathe out before you can <gasps> breathe in the clear air. And our lives are so filled with our selfishness that we need to breathe out forgiveness before we can breathe in forgiveness. 
I experienced this remarkably once. A person asked me to go and see a relative, and I went to see her and was talking to her about spiritual things. And she was explaining how, oh yes, she prayed to God, but nothing happened. And she, she asked Jesus Christ to come into her life, and nothing happened. And she, she believed in God, but nothing happened. And, and talking, she said how she had been abused by her stepfather. And that she told her mum, and her mum didn't believe her. Her mum defended her stepfather. And she couldn't forgive her mum. And I said, well, I said, you're just trying to hurt your mum, but your mum doesn't know how you feel. You have no relationship with your mum. You need to let go. And so we knelt down in the room, and I said to her, I said, um, we're going to pray. She said, well, I don't know what to pray. I said, well, I'll pray a sentence, and then you repeat it. And so I prayed, dear Lord, and she said, dear Lord, thank you that Jesus Christ died for us. Thank you that Jesus Christ died for us. And prayed, and suddenly, this girl, she took over praying. And she prayed, and she prayed, and her heart was released, and she knew the joy of the Lord, and she prayed, and she prayed, and my legs were aching, and she prayed, and she was so filled with the joy of the Lord, and I was there trying to, hoping that she would stop praying, because it was so uncomfortable. But she found as soon as she forgave others, so she could breathe in the forgiveness of God. And some of us may need to walk up the hill of Calvary and kneel at the cross of Jesus Christ and see Jesus Christ dying for our sins. And then as we're there praying for forgiveness, we notice to our right and to our left those people who have hurt us those people who have said things against us, those people who have verbally abused us, physically hurt us, despicably used us, and we really want them to get it in the neck. And yet here we are praying that God would forgive us and not forgive them, that Jesus would have died for us and not them. And we say, no. We say, Father, forgive me, and Father, forgive them. And as we Forgive others. We breathe out the poison so we can breathe in the fresh air of forgiveness. And then we're told we must fast. Self-denial. Fasting is very difficult because it's so uncommon today. In Jesus' day, it was, uh, they would have a national day of fasting every year, and then they would have other religious fasts that they had started to take on, and then people would fast individually. Basically, Jesus said, you can't fast when he's with you. But there's time when you lose his presence, and in those days you will fast. In other words, for us as Christians, when we lose the sense of the presence of God, and we're going to seek God in repentance and prayer, then we deny ourselves by fasting. Other times we're so busy and there are things to do that we will skip our evening meal to get to an evening prayer meeting, and we will fast in that way. 
And sometimes we're conscious that there's, there's such a need for spiritual growth in our lives. And we, we're just hungry for God. And we want to know God better. We want more of God. That we will take one day a month and we will have that as a day when we will just go away and we will meditate and pray and fast and humble ourselves and deny ourselves. Because we want to know God better. And there are those times when sin has a, got a stranglehold on us. And we find that we're gossiping maliciously or, or we're grumbling in a godless way or we, we, we are looking at pornography or we're just lazy and not doing what we should be doing and we want to get back and get right with God and so we'll take a day and we'll humble ourselves and we'll show God that he means more to us even than our food and so we won't eat or we won't eat and drink and we'll spend that day just seeking God because we want to be those who are spiritually alive spiritually right sometimes we will um you know people lent they give up chocolate or they give up watching television me every year for lent i give up brussels sprouts <laughs> but no people will give up something for a while i have an uncle who um didn't watch telly he just didn't have a television and every year when it'd be time to pay for a television license he would give that money to a mission he supported. And for him, that was just a way of showing self-denial. We are to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus Christ. I said at the beginning that Usain Bolt had to train to get to where he was. Usain Bolt has now retired. He's given up training. And as the years go by, he's probably going to grow fat and unfit for us as Christians as we sang in the hymn just before the sermon until death we're going to be seeking the fire burning in our heart and to be following God and maybe some of us today have to say right today I'm going to start being serious about spiritual things I'm not just going to just go along floating I'm now going to have disciplines I'm going to be serious about these things. And I'm going to be serious about my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I'm going to be serious about showing the love of God to the needy people. And I'm going to be serious about dealing with sin in my own life and denying myself because I want to follow Jesus Christ out and out. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the teaching of Jesus Christ. And we realize that um, in every detail of our, of our lives, unless we are disciplined, we're going to uh, be pretty second-rate. And we want to be godly men and women. And so we pray that you'd help us to be imitators of Jesus Christ and to follow his teaching, to be more and more like him. Help us to grow spiritually, we pray. Amen.